You know, the amazing thing about worship is uh, it doesn't change with the weather. <laughs> regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the world, the one constant thing is that he's worthy. Amen? That's what worship is, worship. He is worthy of everything that we have to give. And I believe in this season, and we're seeing it across California. We've been a couple places. <laughs> we've, we've riled some stuff up. The enemy just hates it when the church gathers to worship. Of course, he wants us to be isolated and try to do online church and put a mask on and don't enter in. And of course, this would be the state where the governor would ban singing. I mean, it's crazy. But it's all spiritual. You know, it's, and it's powerful. And, and, and worship is our weapon. It's our weapon. Jehoshaphat was surrounded. It's the third service, so I'm preaching a little bit. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> you know, they were surrounded by the Midianites, and they were pressing in on them from all sides, and they didn't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat made the most powerful statement. He said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then he heard the word from heaven, send out the worshipers. Enter in 2021. Send them out to the streets. Send them out to the bridges. Send them out to the highways. Send them out to the cul-de-sacs. Let them fill the streets with praise. Lord, I just pray, God, today, God, that you would raise up a courageous worshiping church in this season. And I thank you that there's power and authority in our praise. The battle isn't against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. So we wage war through our worship as we lift you up. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop You never stop Come on, Phil, you gotta sing Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working even when I don't see it, you're working. Come on, you are here. You are here, moving in our midst. <laughs> I worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in. I worship you, I worship you. 
he, he's booked tighter than a tambourine. And as soon as he finishes here, he's out of here. He's got other things. And he made time for us. And I'm so thankful. And let's just... Uh, when, you're, when you're out at the tip of the spear and, and you're putting it all on the line, uh, you get canceled and, and people mess with you. And uh, we're going to bless him. We always do. We're generous. But if you want to help, buy some of his stuff when you exit. He's, he's leaving all of his sweatshirts and T-shirts and all that. Buy it. That keeps him fed. So, Grab a seat, if you would. I have uh, one announcement, and then I'm going to introduce our speaker. Uh, tonight, 7 o'clock, uh, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And at our church, every Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, we are defenders of the unborn and unapologetic about that. And that being said, tonight at 7 o'clock, um, we have in the, we're going to have a live service. You're welcome to come in. We're going to run it for live stream and it's going to be Seth Gruber, who is, as far as I'm concerned, the Charlie Kirk of the pro-life movement. And Seth and his wife have been so moved by this congregation. And I said, you know, Seth, we, we got to use the studio and the stuff we're doing. Uh, I want, I, we got to get you out there. Uh, as of January 28th, they are now going to be members of our church moving here to Thousand Oaks. So praise the Lord. All right, an introduction to our next speaker, who you all know, but I want to say this, and a lot of you are holding on, you have some, what I call, hopium, and you know, I, I appreciate the love hopes all things, but there's got to be a dose of reality with some of it, and I'll just say this, and this is what I don't think Americans are doing, this is the second inaugural address of Abraham Lincoln, he said, both the North and the South read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask God's, to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge, and not, not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. And you feel as though you've been treated unjustly. I understand that. But let's not forget, in America, one million babies a year are aborted. Church is silent. You think God's going to turn a blind eye to that? The amazing thing about Abraham Lincoln is... He knew he couldn't find the answer to what was happening by trying to look at the political landscape. He turned to the Lord and he said, what are you doing? It's like Joshua turning to the commander of the Lord's army and, the, and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And the angel says, neither. The question is not if, if God's on our side. The question is, are we on his? You need to examine your life. We've looked at that. And you're thinking, how could this happen? And I just want to remind you, God's not in heaven going, They all bought pillows. I mean, <laughs> listen, it's deeper, far deeper than you can imagine what God is doing to his bride and what he wants to do to this nation and the awakening and the revival. And there's a lot of work to be done and we really have to take inventory. And I have heard this man speak countless times. I have never 
heard a more profound and powerful message and timely than you're going to hear today. Would you welcome the bravest man in America, Charlie Kirk. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome to be with you guys today, and thank you to those that have now come to multiple services. I'll try to mix it up a little bit. I'm losing my voice a little bit. That's what happens when you do two or three hours of radio a day, podcasting, live streams, interviews, speaking. So bear with me if I uh, sound uh, a little bit worn, uh, run down on that. But have all the energy and the optimism to keep going. And so I will also be tonight in uh, Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. For all of you real diehards that want to go all the way down there, we can, we can do that again, right, Pastor Greg? So um, it's such a blessing to be with you guys. Uh, I, um, this week has been one that I will never forget. Uh, this week has been very difficult in a variety of different ways, I think, for all of us. And this weekend has been phenomenal, being around so many pastors, so many uh, amazing believers. I love this church. Rob is my pastor, therefore this is my church. So it's awesome to be coming home, and I, I really am blessed by all of you. I mean that. And the way you guys have supported what we are doing in so many different ways through prayers, through, um, through getting behind what we're doing on our live stream and our podcast has just been amazing. Um, and so let's just take a pause and admit that the last 10 days have been awful. Like the worst 10 days. When things are bad, I believe it's helpful to just take an inventory and ask ourselves, okay, what's the damage report, right? Okay, let's get specific. Um, Joe Biden's gonna be president on Wednesday. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Um, And there's a lot, absent a God-sized miracle that I'm not seeing. But, however, I'm going to be as realistic outside of supernatural intervention. I'm I'm qualifying it, right? Absent supernatural intervention. Okay? And that's probably going to happen. Okay. Uh, We lost the Georgia runoffs. That was hard. Our capital was stormed the day after that. And... Lives were lost, a total tragedy, and then we're all blamed for it, despite us denouncing it and saying we don't, we don't believe in what happened there. The NRA went bankrupt on Friday, I don't know if you saw that or not, the largest Second Amendment advocacy group. What a perfect time to go bankrupt, right? As soon as we need you the most. Uh, Sheldon Adelson passed away this last week, who was the number one financier to um, conservative Republican candidates also a very big pro-Israel um, supporter. Our president was impeached in an eight-hour time span. You can get to San Francisco quicker than how they impeached our president, like instantaneously, um, with no due process, no witnesses, just the entire narrative that the president is solely to blame for what happened here. Social media is a horror show right now, Uh, Our president doesn't have any social media at all whatsoever. They kicked him off of everything. The obvious, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. They kicked him off of TikTok, which is really bizarre. (laughs) Don't think that Trump was going to be TikToking. I guess that's the right term. And uh, uh, that's the one social media platform I refuse to get on. Just 
not on it. And he, in a stunning turn of events, I would have loved to have seen the president, after trying to get TikTok kicked out of the country, resort to TikTok to get his message out. <laughs> they, um, they kicked him off of Spotify. Not really sure why they would do that, except they just don't want him to have access to any music at all, ever. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's been an awful 10 days. And so... There's, there's a couple ways that we can unpack it. We can go one by one. I want to go through the general lecture. I want to go through Georgia. I want to go through the social media piece. Uh, but first, let's just say that's all terrible. But has everything been nothing but bad since the election and the results thereof? The answer is actually no. The answer is that our feeling is not directly correlated with how things actually are. Don't get me wrong. Losing Senate control is bad. Losing the White House is awful. However, there's some victories that were pretty miraculous and awesome and not far from here. Mike Garcia won by like 337 votes. And you guys deserve a lot of credit for that, the people that knocked on the doors, the people that supported him. Young Kim and Michelle Steele won in Orange County, taking back two of those seats. Maria Elvira Salazar in downtown Miami speaks fluent Spanish in a Democrat seat, beat Donna Shalala by three points in a seat that Republicans have not held since the seat was drawn. Pretty unbelievable. We have two incredible new black Republicans, Burgess Owens and Byron Douglas from Florida in this new freshman class in the House of Representatives. And my friend, Madison Cawthorn, is the youngest person ever elected to Congress in the history of our republic at 25 years old as a Republican. It's unbelievable. And it's not just like these are cherry-picking results. The most conservative estimate from the experts, Nate Silver and The Economist, said that Nancy Pelosi will be enjoying a 244-seat Democrat majority. It was the opposite. Instead of expanding 15 more seats, she shrank and she now has only a seven-seat majority in the House of Representatives. Where most people believed that the House was going to be a bloodbath, we were winning seats that we never thought we were going to win. Like Marionette Miller-Meeks, who won by six votes in Iowa. Yes, every vote matters. Claudia Tenney, who is currently up by three votes, and they're still counting them, and they're finding them, and they're up in northern New York. No, that's actually an uncalled race. That's actually a thing. And so where everyone thought the House was going to be this permanent Democrat majority for decades, even with all the awful and terrible recent events, I can say confidently that if Republicans do their job correctly, we have a really good chance to take back the House in 2022. That was something that no one thought to be possible before this election. And it's more than just having like a one-seat majority. The Every seat you lose makes every one of those votes with more pressure. All of a sudden, these blue dog Democrats, they're not going to be able to do what is called vote trading. You know what vote trading is? When you have a 30 or 40 seat majority, you go to a super liberal Democrat and you're like, hey, I'm a moderate. I'm going to vote against this, even though I wish I could, but you're going to cover me and vote for it. Right? This is how D.C. works, and then they go to their constituents and say, I voted against this, get back, but they're only given protection by the massive majority, right? So now, when they have a seven-seat majority, there's not a lot of vote trading that can be done. 
That means all it takes is a couple Democrat defections, and all of a sudden Pelosi's going to have a lot of trouble getting her ranks together. Very significant. We won seats that we were doomed to fail, from North Carolina Senate seats to Iowa. I'm going to name three states here. Florida, Iowa, and Ohio. Let's start with Florida, where I'm a resident of Florida. Florida used to be something that we call a battleground state. Florida used to be a state where you win by 10,000 votes or 15,000 votes. Donald Trump won the state of Florida by 470,000 votes. And I'm going to get to that in a second because the Florida example should give you optimism. It should give you a lot of hope and promise for a variety of different reasons. Iowa used to be a battleground state. Trump won by eight points. Ohio, remember they used to say Ohio is the battleground state. He won by nine and a half points. And so if you feel like you got your clock cleaned, let's slow down. It's bad, but it could be so much worse, especially when we take into effect this mail-in ballot nonsense that happened all across the country. The Chinese coronavirus, unprecedented on top of unprecedented with the lockdowns. BLM Incorporated, with everything they did to manipulate conversations and all of that, we were outspent like five to one in every single race across the country. We were not allowed to talk about Joe Biden's son being under federal investigation, his laptop, or else he get kicked off of social media and all the social media manipulation. The fact that we are even in striking distance in some of these chambers is actually something to take pause and say it could be worse. And I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear, but take comfort in that because it could be worse. Or if they, had, if they had that 244 seat threshold that Pelosi wanted, there would be no debate on state additions, Green New Deal, fossil fuel abolition, all the stuff that we're gonna talk about that hopefully we can play defense against. So let's talk about Florida for a second. There's a lot of people that understandably were very focused and have been, and I have to talk here very carefully because we're on a YouTube live stream and I don't wanna see Rob lose his live stream, I'm not kidding. So on voter integrity, you guys with me, right? Voter integrity and all the shenanigans around that. And I understand that a lot of people are frustrated with all the nonsense that we saw around that. However, there's one state that used to be a circus in the way they did elections. There's one state that used to be a tragedy, and that state is Florida. In the 2008 governor's race, 2018 governor's race, Ron DeSantis is running up against Andrew Gillum. You guys might remember this race. Rick Scott was running up against Bill Nelson who was an astronaut and a very popular incumbent senator in Florida. We were all waiting for election results to come in, and this new thing started to get tested in Broward County. They weren't reporting results. Sound familiar? All of a sudden, there were ballots flying all over the place, trucks and transportation things, and oh, we got ballots over here and absentee. Sound familiar? And it took a week to get all that sorted out, lawsuits and all this. It was a circus. Ron DeSantis ended up winning. Ron DeSantis won, and he said, I know the pain, and I know the potential corruption embedded in that system. So you know what he did? Day one, he asked for the resignation of the head of supervisor of elections, a woman named Brenda Snipes. Do you remember Brenda Snipes? He said, I want your resignation. Then he went county by county, and he said, here's the way that elections are going to work now in Florida. We are going to have the strictest signature verification standards for any mail-in ballots. He said, we're going to have voter ID, we are, we're, and they got sued in some places, but they got some reforms in, and we're going to have it that if you request an absentee ballot, you will go to jail if you vote in any other way, and we are going to prosecute publicly anyone that does that. And to put a cherry on top, 
By 9.30 Eastern, you have to have your results in, or you got to go petition a judge to tell him why your results are not in. Now, he was sued like you wouldn't believe, called awful names, racist, all these other things. Ron DeSantis did not move an inch. And so I met with Governor DeSantis two weeks before the general election, two weeks before the general election. And I said, you know, Governor DeSantis, how do you feel about things? He's like, because of, and I didn't, I remember the conversation, but I didn't take it as seriously at the time as, of course, I do now. He said, because of all the reforms that we've put in, there will be no nonsense, there'll be no shenanigans, and we're going to have our results in by 9.30, and Trump's going to win the state of Florida. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's like a Babe Ruth moment. Like, I mean, saying you're going to, it's like, my goodness, you're pointing to center field, I'm going to hit a home run. Like, just saying you're going to win Florida, big deal. And th that's exactly what ended up happening. And so I voted in the state of Florida. I voted early. Let me tell you how it worked when I was in the state of Florida. Came in, wonderful poll workers that were working there, and I had to show an ID. What a concept, right? I know, like, like, let's applaud that, right? Like, that's a good thing. And when I was getting checked in, there was some activity happening next to me that I couldn't help but kind of overhear, eavesdrop. It was right next to me. And a guy came in and he said, I want to vote. They said, okay, sir, you know, show us your identification, whatever. And they said, according to our records, we already sent you an absentee ballot. And he's like, I don't know anything about that. I want to vote. And they said, well, again, your, the records are, you can vote provisionally, but then if we find out that you voted twice, you go to jail. An argument ensued and the guy left. Now, I don't know if he was up to funny business. I don't know if maybe he was just really, you know, the system was not working in his favor. Maybe there was about, I don't know. What I do know, though, is that that was a check and balance against someone that might have had bad intentions, right? So, I, I, again, I don't know his life story. I don't know what the whole thing is there. However, I saw a system working where someone was asking to vote when a ballot was already sent out. So what happens when you have a system that works? Well, Donald Trump wins by 470,000 votes in a battleground state that we used to go over like every single county and every precinct in Florida. Now it's like, it's not even close. You're flipping things in Miami-Dade County and Broward County. And so why am I focusing on Florida? Because Florida shows that it can be done. Because Florida shows that when you win state and local offices, you get engaged in these races, you put the proper pressure with the proper leaders and the proper people in place, reforms can happen. You juxtapose that with Georgia, with Governor Brian Kemp and Raffensperger that did the opposite of Ron DeSantis. What did they do? They relaxed their voting standards. They relaxed signature verification. They didn't put in 930 Eastern requirements for every county. And then you, end, you, end up, you enter the third world where you're counting votes for 10 days. And you got all sorts of stuff happening there. And so that kind of juxtaposition I think is super, super important. And so it feels like it did in 2008 when we just lost everything in a tidal wave, remember? That's what it feels like, but that's not actually where we are. You have a, you have a man that got the second most votes of any person ever running for office in the history of the country, Donald Trump. And so you kind of take stock and inventory there. I think there's a, there's a couple ways to unpack it. The way that we do elections has to be one of the top focuses on the state level, especially in Arizona and Georgia in particular. And I'll get into the significance of that. So now I wanna talk about social media, which is very, very important, which is if you do not have the ability to communicate or speak, you actually don't have a civilization. You must be able to get information out, consume information. And a lot of you remember, I've been speaking, I spoke a couple times here, I warned against the threat of social media of what could happen because of Google and Twitter and Facebook. I've been warning against it. I think we all are no longer in the camp where you have to persuade me. I think we all realize the threat that they are. But absent the president getting kicked off of every single social media site, the thing that really was chillingly disturbing 
is when a small startup named Parler tried to compete. So we were told, go start a competitor, free market person. Like, go start a, like, okay. So friends of mine, Dan Bongino, John Mates, you know, they started Parler, and I was supportive of it. I was one of the first users on it. And, you know, they were really trying to figure it out. So what happened in a span of 24 hours? Right now, you cannot access Parler on the Apple Store, the Google Store, and their servers took them down. Three separate companies with three separate CEOs with three separate valuations all around $1 trillion all made one decision to go obliterate a competitor. We call that a cartel. And that's illegal in this country. You can't do that. You can't all of a sudden mesh all of your combined corporate power together to go after a potential threat in the marketplace. You cannot do that. Whether or not that will be litigated or not, probably not. Like, let's just be honest. Like, that's probably not going to happen. However, what I think the mistake they made here, and this is a really important point, is that they did this too quickly. And so this was a strategic error by the Democrats. And I think they're realizing it, which is why Jack Dorsey's walking this back, which is why all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of backlash internationally around this. And so because... One of the greatest tools the Democrats use is a psychological manipulation tactic called gaslighting. We've talked about this before. So what, so what is gaslighting? Gaslighting, and it's from an actual play um, that was done in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where an abusive spouse, uh, his wife would come home every single day, and he would incrementally turn down the light that was in the room. And she would say, is it getting darker in here or am I losing my mind? He'd say, no, you're losing your mind. And so it'd get dark, it'd darker, 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 darker. And she said, I'm losing my mind, I'm losing my mind. He's like, no, it's not getting dark. What are you talking about? It's a, it, it is a well-known psychological abusive manipulation tactic. But it's also been done on the entire country, right? For, and it's been done on the country where all of a sudden we go from saying, well, I don't like Trump supporters to Trump supporters are domestic terrorists. Like, well, that happened really quickly. And so it's this kind of ever-moving Overton window, right? So the, the gaslighting tactic only works if it's done incrementally over time. What they did metaphorically is they turned the light completely off. And they were like, okay, now I know you're messing with me, okay? And what happened, which kind of blew up their entire charade, is 75 million people alongside like, well-meaning people in the middle are all of a sudden like, time out, this is, not, this is not the country I signed up for. And that's why you've seen this immediate migration and backlash for new tech platforms, pushback against this. And this is a moment where like, we don't for, we're not going to forget this. We're not going to all of a sudden like, gravitate back to Facebook and start using it again. It's kind of like, forget it, okay? We get it, you think you're so powerful. We're going to try to do something else. We don't know what it is. It might be improper, it might be messy, but we're not doing this anymore. Whereas if... They would have done what they did so well over the last 20 years. They violated their own rules, everybody. I hope you understand this. The left was successful because they were patient, and then they got impatient. And the impatience is exactly one of their greatest vulnerabilities here. So if they would have handled this the way they handled everything else, the slow march through the institutions, right? Taking over the churches, taking over the colleges, taking over the university, all these sorts of things. Instead, they did it all at once. What do, when you have a rapid, sudden, sudden, dramatic shift to a population, you will have backlash and people become, one word, alert. And I've seen more people become alert to really what we're up against right now. So instead of me coming here and convincing you that we're in trouble, I'm coming here 
knowing that you already believe that, telling you what to do. That's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing that you guys are on the edge of your seat. Because most countries never have the opportunity to preempt the next move, right? Because they stay in that place of, it's not that bad. They're only kicking off the bad guys off of social media. They move this dramatically and suddenly, all of a sudden, you have 75 million people that are like, now I get it. What do I do? What do I stop spending money on? Where do I, tell me what to do. That's a good thing. Because if it would have been the other way, we would be two years from now and the lights would be off and we'd say, we're being told our mind is crazy and we didn't even know it. So consider that a blessing. They acted as recklessly and as quickly as they did. You're going to hear a lot about unity. We want to, unity, unity, unity. There's an old Soviet phrase that is so applicable to this, which they said, unity is the absence of opposition. That's what their definition of unity is. We're going to bring the country together by destroying half the country. And so that's, that's their idea of bringing everyone together. Like we can all agree once we stop all the disagreement. <laughs> and that's what, that's what they're going to mean by unifying the country in the next couple weeks and months. But here's the one thing that I think that they're missing. And I'm going to go through some of the things that give me great hope. And I mean that because I think I've beaten you guys down enough with all the problems. So, um, and there's more, but we could spend more time on that. But there's actually a lot of good things happening. And I want to talk about those, which is that I think they, I think the really smart strategic liberals and leftists are now realizing that they have overreacted in the censorship and the banning and all of this. And they, they have changed tactics from trying to make us be apathetic to now to break our will. And I'll get to that because those are two different things, right? Trying to get us to be apathetic or breaking our will and surrendering are actually two completely different things. And so I wanted to say just a word on Georgia and then I'm going to get into just a list of things that I wrote down here. Um, Georgia was very winnable. We lost Georgia for a variety of reasons. Number one, candidate selection. The candidates weren't great, but so what? We had to live with what we had. Number two, there was targeted misinformation that told Trump supporters to stay at home and not vote. That's a bunch of garbage. And if you're, I, I highly encourage you, if you're consuming information from sources that are saying that, please stop doing that. Because shenanigans, tomfoolery, all those sorts of things I could talk about, there were precincts where human beings just did not walk through the door, okay? There, there, there's no way you can blur those lines. There were, just, there were just precincts where human beings did not show up on election day where modeling showed they did. We thought they were going to. Why? Because a variety of voices that are out there said, don't vote, show them your power by not voting. And it's, just, it's like the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. So now Chuck Schumer is Senate Majority Leader. That's basically it, right? And so Georgia also was lost because the church did not get engaged and active in the state of Georgia. Mega church pastor Andy Stanley uh, from North Atlanta was criticizing culture war Christianity, as he called it. Um, Lecrae, the Christian music artist, was outwardly campaigning with Raphael Warnock, uh, the pro-abortion uh, advocate, the pro-Castro advocate. That's what Lecrae is doing. Um, will he ever be accepted back in Christian music circles? Probably. But now, according to Lecrae, to be a cool Christian, a rapper Christian, whatever that is, is to go advocate for the termination of millions of unborn children every year, right? That's, if Lecrae didn't do that, 
if the pastors in Georgia would have drawn a line, and really what it showed me is that all the pastors that said they weren't getting involved in politics because of Trump were full of it. They were lying to you. Because we heard from pastors, how many of you heard it? Oh, I'm cool on like the Republican policy stuff, but the Trump stuff turns me off. You heard it all the time, right? Well, here was your chance in Georgia, man. He wasn't on the ballot. Like you had two people, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, that were the difference between handing the keys of the kingdom to the public financing of abortion, anti-Israel, pro-Iran party, and not. And the pastors were apathetic. And so we lost Georgia largely because of that. And of course, all the tomfoolery and all the signature verification, all that, that's, that's, that's completely valid points. However, I'm just talking about human beings that did not show up, okay? That stuff can't be manipulated. I'm just talking about people who did not show up. Okay, so let me, let me, give, you, let me give you three promises that I know of what's gonna happen here. So now we've gone through all the, the list of all that and I think you share all my concerns with everything that's happening there. Okay, um, I have such incredible hope because I know the Democrats are gonna miraculously screw this entire thing up. And not a little bit, by the way. Miraculous, like in a Shakespearean way, they're gonna screw this up. They have never governed anything successfully, ever. States, they couldn't run a YMCA, a restaurant, a hot dog stand, a school. The principles that guide leftism are based in emotion, feeling, and power struggles. You cannot run enterprises when all you care about is validating somebody's well-crafted complaint at the, at the expense of the efficiency of the organization. You can't. You can't run a church that way. You can't run a country that way. You can't run a civilization that way. And you definitely can't run the United States Senate that way. And they will screw this up in a way where I give it like 200 days-ish till people start running back towards us and are like, where are the Republicans? Like, where are the conservatives, right? And it's going to be a moment where they're acting as if they have a 67-seat majority in the Senate, where they have a 50-50 tie with a moderate blue dog Democrat, Joe Manchin, and two senators that are under tough, 2022 elections with a motivated conservative base in Arizona and Georgia. So let's just be a little clear here. They don't have this massive majority here. But despite that, what's on their agenda? Well, we know what Joe Biden is saying he's going to do. Amnesty, um, the, term, the, reinsta- the reinstalling of the Iran deal. He's considering the embassy in Jerusalem getting shut down. We all know this, right? Elections have consequences. We've said that, and here we are. And so, however, in the Senate and just governance in general, they are going to massively mess this up. And here's the second promise. They're going to fight. They're going to fight amongst themselves. The feast is at the table and they're going to tear each other apart. AOC and Schumer and all these guys, go for it. They have not had unified government since 2008. And... This Democrat party that controls right now is categorically different than Obama's party in 2008. And if you think they've been out of control when they're in the minority, wait until they're actually able to implement a lot of this stuff. They're going to fight amongst themselves. They will. And here's the third promise I have for you that I know to be true. 
If we do not quit, people in massive numbers are going to demand us to be back in power and in charge again. Now what that looks like, I'm going to walk through. It's a promise. I guarantee it. And if we do not lose our resolve and our will, the people are actually going to want to be with us. And that's partly because the Republican Party has changed for the better. The Republican Party is now an unapologetically pro-life party. The, pro, the, the Republican Party is a... The Republican Party is now a party of people that shower before work and after work. The Republican Party is a party that wants to represent working people in this country. Let the Democrats represent Menlo Park and Silicon Valley. As Gavin Newsom says, everything's great. Our billionaires are making a bunch of money. It's actually what he said. Gavin Newsom. And the permanent, you know, kind of government-dependent class. And the rest of the people are going to be working individuals that want to see something of their life that are responsible And those people, thanks to President Trump, which will be one of his longest-lasting legacies, are now ours to either win or lose. So we can do what we can do, what H.W. Bush did in 1988, and just kind of turn our back on those people and go back to the Liz Cheney party of being the Chamber of Commerce. We're going to go declare war in every country we've ever heard of, or we can stay firmly focused on the type of party that respects religious liberty, that invites pastors and people of faith to the highest levels of power unapologetically, that cares about the full spectrum conservatism, that's the party I'm going to be contesting for. And it's not inconsequential because when all of a sudden that focus comes back and people are running towards us in massive numbers and they're like, we want Republicans back in charge, we better not have that Chamber of Commerce party around. We better not have that kind of like open border party that pre-existed Trump. Okay. And so Here's three questions for you just to ask. If people say, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I get that question all the time more than anything else. What do I do? So here's three questions. Instead of what to do, I'm going to ask you if you're doing these things. To tell you, and then I'm going to give you three marching orders that are similar but a little bit different. Which is number one, are you taking terrain or planning to take terrain where you currently don't occupy something? This is what the left has done brilliantly. They've take, they took over everything we took for granted, guys, right? Our universities, our colleges, our school boards, our churches, our corporations, our businesses, our tech companies, our media companies, all of it. Okay, now it's time for us to make a list, and it could be something as simple as, I'm going to go run for leadership in the Kiwanis Club. I'm not kidding. Because all of a sudden now you have a Christian conservative in a position of leadership in your community. It can be something as simple as, I am going to run for state rep. I'm going to run for a school board. I'm going to go to run for mayor's race, whatever it might be, but I'm going to start taking terrain. I'm going to stop just always trying to manage this ever-eroding piece of property that I have. We're going to be expansionist. And that's what we try to do at Turning Point USA every single day on college campuses. You want to talk about a place that we've lost, but ever, ever so incrementally, we're going to take campus by campus and high school by high school, person by person and student by student. And that's how movements are, are built. And so, are you taking terrain? Number two, are you converting? This is super important. Constantly be engaging and converting other people. Being on your toes. People say, Charlie, I don't know what to do. And here's one thing I encourage you to do. It's the best thing that informs me how to handle the situation I'm in. And this is an unusual thing I'm going to tell you to do. Every day, commit yourself to at least a half hour 
of learning. In times of chaos, despair, it will give you clarity and comfort to realize you're not the first person to go through it. You go read, not just through the scriptures, but from the writings of Winston Churchill, the founding fathers, Abraham Lincoln, the philosophical roots to the left, whatever it is, you spend half an hour on a podcast, a radio, a lecture, whatever it is, to go learn something new every single day you didn't know the day before. Now, what's the significance of that? You'll start finding the answers of how to get involved as you're doing that. You'll start like, oh, that's a really good idea. That's interesting. We need the new equivalent of that. That's a really interesting civil disobedience thing. I never thought of that. Because all of a sudden, you're now actively trying to search wisdom that came before you when they dealt with the same problems that we're dealing with. Because all this stuff has been thought through before, and thought through before, I should say. And so, are you converting and are you learning? And the third thing, which might be the most important thing on the list, and this is as we're entering in some ways a post-political phase. This next nine to 12 months is a very delicate time where we really don't have a lot of elections, but we have a lot of important things happening. And this might be the most important thing, which is, are you supporting someone who is sacrificing for your liberty? That's a very important question. And so like, Rob McCoy is a great example of this. Rob takes the arrows, he takes the shots so that you guys can have the liberty to go to church, right? It's a perfect example of that. And so understand the hyper-personalization aspect of the left, they don't want to take out God speak. They want to take out the human being behind it. You understand that, right? That's the way the left thinks. They don't think about taking on institutions. They think about, think about taking on individuals. So how do you prevent against that? That's where you come in. You support them. And I'm talking about the smallest thing from prayer every day audibly for those people. So you write down in a list the fighters that you see that are sacrificing. Jack Hibbs, Candace Owens, Larry Elder, Dennis Prager, that every single day are waking up and they're, they're putting stuff on their back, on their shoulders, and you see that it's coming at a cost, right? You see that it's wearing them down. Lift those people up. Don't turn an eye when all of a sudden a New York Times article comes out about because they said something that, that wasn't great. No. You say, I'm going to lean in more for that person. I'm going to bring food for them. I'm going to give them, you know, I'm going to buy their book, whatever it is. But it's more than a passive posture. It's, I'm going to be involved in the connection of trying to impact. And that prayer is not inconsequential in that, by the way. It's very important. But it's also, I'm going to make more friends aware. I'm going to start texting their links around. That is the type of thing that is so incredibly important because the next 9 to 12 months, their playbook is to try to weaken or demolish the individuals that pose the greatest threat to what they really want to do. And so you just take out a piece of paper tonight and you write out those people. Might be five names, might be 10 names, might be 15 names. And then you commit to staying engaged and involved in supporting those types of people. Because I could tell you, we need it. And that's the type of chapter that we're about to enter. Okay, two final, uh, it's like, Two final lists that are kind of quick, and then I know um, I'll go through it as quickly as I can. Okay, here's the other thing. Here's the, here's the other good news of all this, and I've been saying this for months, and I'm going to keep on saying it. The left controls everything, but there's one thing that's still up for grabs, and you're sitting right in it, which is the church. This is going to be the church's finest moment. It will be, and we're going to make sure of it. And it's got to be beyond just God speak. It's got to be got to find the pastors, and we've got to say, you've got to act right now. And so, 
I have a rule. If you're not being persecuted, you're, you're not doing something right as a Christian. It's that simple. Because in the scriptures, it tells us that persecution is a guarantee. And so how are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to handle it when it feels like the world is pressing down on us, right? It's this physical pressure. What are we supposed to do? I'm going to tell you my least favorite but most true verse that Rob mentioned in the previous sermons. Because it's totally against human nature. It's actually instructing us to do something that is against how we are wired. And that is to be joyful in the midst of persecution. It's against what I want to do right now. So what I want to do is go complain for the next nine months, go write some books about how awful Joe Biden is, and then just like hope better, and kind of like just whatever. That's my nature. But now I consciously have to say, no, this is a blessing that we're going through this. This is a gift. And I'm going to praise God throughout all of this with joy and positivity. And these are going to be amazing days. That's what we're commanded to do in times like this. And that's hard. I'm telling, I mean, it's hard. You want the pity party, right? You want the, everything is lost and our founding fathers would be turning in their graves. That's all true. I totally agree. Okay, you're like, except all the lost thing. Like, okay, let's just get it all out. Like, this is, that's what this sermon, that's like the speech is all about. Let's just get it all out. Let's like list it, okay? And then we say, got anything else? And that's basically in the book of Job how it was. Job was crying out to God and God was basically, I'm paraphrasing, you done yet? Like, who's in charge here? And so, it, and it's a conscious step though. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a mental step. And I encourage you to resist the temptation, which is what it is, from the enemy to feel sorry for yourself in this season. I knocked on so many doors. I said all the right prayers. I did all the right things. Okay, that wasn't God's will and God's plan. So now what are we going to do? We're going to be joyful and optimistic and positive and plan and build. Okay, so here are three action steps and then um, Rob will close us out, which is you stay in constant contact with each other. Okay? And that means you get each other's phone numbers, you, 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 know, you, you message with each other, you call each other, you meet with each other. That's why having physical church is so incredibly important. But you've got to look out for each other right now, guys, because this is a season where the enemy is going to try to use doubt and despair and despondency, right? Like, everything's terrible, we're breaking down. The antidote to that, of course, is Jesus, is truth, but it's also ecclesia, it's physically being around each other, Right? And it's saying, we're going to look out for each other in this moment. It's, we get it, we're going through a tough time, but here's where we want to go and here's how we're going to get there. I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. And the second thing is this, what a great time to build new stuff. As they're tearing everything down, what a great time for new entrepreneurs to fill that void, right? What a great time to go start something new. And some people say, well, Charlie, you just said that all the regulation and all this stuff. What a great chance when things are awful to begin new. And let me tell you why. The Democrats and the media and all of their, their kind of influences, they unintentionally created the most powerful and united consumer market in the history of the country called every person who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. It's 75 million people. And so I'm getting emails and texts and calls saying like, should I eat here? Should I not eat here? Where do I do this? All of a sudden, we have now activated what I've always wanted, which is a baseline budgeting conservative movement where it's like every dollar I want to reflect my value system, awesome. We should have been doing that 20 years ago. 
And so that's part of what needs to fill the void. And so the third thing is this, and this is the final thing, which is we must have three words, which is grit, will, and perseverance. Their strategy right now, just so you know, is very simple. It is not to persuade you. It is not to convince you. And it's not to disengage you. Instead, it's to make you surrender. It's that simple. They want to break your will. That's what this is. They want you to raise the white flag and say, I'm done. I'm not donating anymore. I'm not going to that church. I'm not supporting that guy. They want you to say yes to the temptation of surrender. And it's tempting, right? You guys ever think how much easier your life would be at times? At least I do if I didn't have to deal with all these, you know, all that stuff. Like, wow, I could, you know, just watch sports all day or whatever. Like people do that aren't involved in this, right? Um, yeah, it's, however, the, the conscious decision of having the grit, the will, and the perseverance is the greatest counter to whatever they're trying to plan right now. They're plan, they're, they are betting that we, our resolve will weaken. So let me tell you assuredly what is going to happen. And it will, and it will have two possible outcomes. That's it. They're going to screw everything up, as we said. They're going to shatter everything and all of that. And the people, the constituents, are going to run back to Republicans and conservatives. And they're going to flock to the church. And the church is about to have an unbelievable moment. But here's the question. Here's the question. What are they going to be running to? Are they going to be running to a group of people that gave up in January in 2021 with no infrastructure, no planning, no will, so we're sitting around in August being like, I thought it was all over, and we have people that are coming through the rafters wanting to give their life to Christ, but we gave up in January. Or like, we didn't run candidates, we didn't field them, we didn't do the planning, we didn't do all this, and we realized we missed an opportunity and actually wasn't as bad as we thought it was, and the margins were slimmer and everything's unpopular, and these senators are under all these sort of different fights, and all of a sudden we can get back into power, and all of a sudden we realized we lost that opportunity because we were in some sort of multi-month pity party. Or, we make the conscious decision that we are going to bet, thanks to the system the framers put in place and the founding fathers put in place, that it's actually really hard to revolutionize this country in two years. You cannot get in permanent government power with big, bold ideas without winning every election for six years straight. Just so you know. It's a six-year window to turn all this thing around. Think about it, because you've got to win all the Senate seats, all the House seats, and the presidency. And you've got to do it routinely and continually, despite backlash, despite scandals, despite all of that stuff. The founders and the framers were so brilliant that they put these checks and balances in place. So, what I want is that when all those people start coming back to us, because it's an inevitability, it's a law of nature, that everything the left touches, it gets ruined. That's what Dennis Prager says. Just like there's the laws of physics, there's the laws of the left, they, they destroy everything. They do. And you know this. It's, it's a law, like gravity, like force equals mass times acceleration, object at rest will stay at rest, the left will destroy everything it touches, okay? And so, when they, it's true. When they come back, Here's what I want. I want a church that is you know, battle ready, metaphorically, and ready to be able to contest on this at every level. I want a party that knows why they believe what they believe. I want people that, despite all the stuff that's about to happen, our will strengthens, not weakens. That they realize the more they lean into this, 
the more that we actually, we, we, get, we get more united, not less. That the more that they try to antagonize us and penalize us and punish us and kick us off, they realize it has the opposite effect than what they want. What, 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 we, what we have to want is that when, that when those people come rushing back, we have the infrastructure, we have the planning, and we have the direction. Because that day will come, I'm telling you right now. I know that I've traveled to all 50 states in this country. I've spoke, I speak to thousands and thousands of people every single, every week personally and through emails and everything else. I could tell you right now, the way that they are planning it is out of the mainstream of this country. So when they come back, if we are unprepared, we'll blow it and then the country will actually be over. But if we are ready and we plan and we're strategic and we do not have a broken will or resolve or perseverance, 10 years from now, I will be here. And I will say, do you remember that fiery speech I gave back in 2021 and I'll re-reference these notes and I'll say look how bad things were we lost like these runoffs and like this thing and with this awful terrible capital tragedy and I'll say do you guys remember when you guys made the commitment to have a strengthened grit will resolve and perseverance and look at all these beautiful things we built a new Facebook remember Facebook and I'll say 10 years from now remember like when we well remember we didn't have servers we got that fixed now And what I'm saying is this, is that we are completely in control of our future. And so I am making the conscious decision to engage in this troubling time with joy and with optimism that we are going to get another chance and that we're going to win. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to, he went out that door so you wouldn't do that, and next time, don't let that happen. Uh, Grab a seat, we'll do it real quick, I'll get you out of here, because I have to drive him to San Clemente, we got another event. Uh, James said, count it all joy, as Charlie referred, count it all joy when you face face various trials, knowing that the testing of your face per Faith produces patience, and I love the definition of the word patience in that the frame of mind which endures, and um, as I was considering all this, and last night when we had the pastors gather for the declaration of dissent, uh, and it was unscripted, and Vishnal Magdawali, uh, his book is phenomenal, I'll fill it in later on that, but extemporaneously he gets up to speak and he said something profound that touched us all. He said, you know, December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor the next day, America declared war both on Japan and Europe. And Churchill was at wit's end and he couldn't get America to enter into the war. We were, we were isolationist. And they were, they were the last vestige in Europe. And they were out of everything. And they had called on Churchill when there was nothing left, but America wouldn't participate. And then the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and America entered World War II. And these were the words of Churchill the next day in 1941. He said, well, the war's over. We won. Now, the war wouldn't end for another five years. But he knew that the minute America got involved, the war was over. It was just a matter of time. When the church gets involved, this mess will be over. 
And I want to close by saying, especially on live stream, and I invited pastors in the community to come. I said, they're lining up to get in the building. They would love to come to yours. And if you're here and you're a pastor and your church isn't open, whether it's because your elder board is contending with you, God bless you for being here. But the last people to get involved in a revival is the church. I mean, it's just how it is in history. The church becomes comfortable and complacent. And it's now that the church is needed. And I, and I just, Charlie was saying support us, and, and I just want to say something. You all commend me for standing. I'm only standing because you're holding me up. And, and you are the most remarkable congregation on the face of the earth. And today, the war is over because the church awakens. And you started. Would you stand with me? I would do but I, you don't want to hear me sing. I'm just going to say, may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And, and may his peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. No weapon fashioned against you will stand. And the Lord loves you. He loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. He loves you so much that he has equipped you for this day. He knew how he fashioned you. It's not a surprise that you are here Everything in your being and the way he's put you together is for this time. Now glorify him because you have nothing to be afraid of anymore. Everything's been given to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I gave my life away and everything I own, it's his. And he's welcome to, he's welcome to do with it as he pleases because it's his. My life is his. And that's the same with you. And when you understand that, when you understand that, then you realize you have nothing to lose because you already gave it away. And you have nothing to be afraid of. And what are they going to threaten you with? Death? That's heaven to us. So let's get excited. Let's count it all joy. And let's get to work in the power of God's spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.